Pals from WHYY and BillyPenn.com. It is hitting season. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, the Red Hot Phillies sweep one of the worst baseball teams we've ever come across. Uh, went out to Oakland and took three in a row from the A's, and the Red Hot Phillies have won 13 of 15 and improved their standing in the National League wildcard race, but not by a whole lot because there's a number of other National League teams that are just as hot as the Phils. So we'll get into all that stuff coming up here in the next few minutes. Also, we'll talk a little trade stuff. Paul Goldschmidt's name being mentioned uh, by folks in the Phillies sphere. So we'll talk about the possibility of what they might do at the trade deadline to shore up a couple of weak areas. And uh, we'll preview the upcoming homestand. Big homestand against the Braves and the Mets at Citizens Bank Park this week. So lots to get to on this episode of Hit and Season. Joining me as they do every week, my good friends Justin Clue and Liz Rocher. Justin from Baseball Prospectus, also the host of The Dirty Inning and absolutely hammered on the Hit and Season Patreon. Follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. Justin, what's up, buddy? Uh, I, I I don't like to talk about it a whole lot because, you know, I All right, just, don't. I'm very, I'm very typically very humble. But, uh, you know, I think yes. at this point it's tough to deny the uh, influence that we at Absolutely Hammer have over the Phillies conversation in general as we mm. discussed the Paul Goldschmidt concept for, I believe, the first time mm. uh, when it, uh, before it really became a trending news topic. So I look forward to digging into that with you guys. But what I want to say is that I have never had so much fun just looking at the Major League Baseball standings than I have this season, and a little bit like last year, too. It is just like a beautiful mess. I I feel like there's been like some typical patterns and narratives and threads the teams fall into, especially when you you hit June. Uh, But it feels like maybe last year, but even more so this year, there's just been this cloud of mediocrity in the middle of the National League where teams have, have... surged and fallen in total congruence with each other and it just creates absolute chaos uh mathematically and yeah i mean that's without even really focusing on like the central where it really is a mess and all the teams Mm -hmm. are pretty much the same uh and but like you look at the wild card picture and it's just crazy i mean now the phillies got to worry about the reds the yeah. Reds coming up on the. God, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't. Did ready that, for that happen? Why are the Marlins in second place? No one knows. Nope. I mean, John and I were talking. It's because they acquired the American League batting champion when they needed an impact bat, and everyone was like, "Well, that's not going to work." But <laughs> <laughs> apparently, Weird. we were off. <laughs> Get yourself a real hitter like a Kyle Schwarber, not the one with all the hits. Yeah, hits with a wiffle bat until June first. You know, like a responsible baseball player. But yeah, I just I'm really enjoying the uh, the scatter shot of, uh, of of that the standings are right now because things are just crazy. Yeah, we're going to get into some of the standings. We're going to get into some of these other National League teams that are surprising with their play, both positively and negatively. But um, joining me also, Liz Rocher from Yahoo Sports. Follow her on Twitter at Liz Rocher. Liz, how are you feeling on this fine Monday? I'm doing okay. Watch the Phillies uh, beat the crap out of sort of a really bad team. Uh, I wish they would have won more decisively. Um, But related to uh, what Justin was saying, I personally am having a really nice time just staring at the NL Central with Mm -hmm. the St. Louis Cardinals right at the bottom. Oh, man. Oh, man. I know we're going to talk about the cards a little bit later, but ooh, I mean, they're not awful, but no, they're not good. They are not good. One of three NL teams to hit the th- to not hit the 30-win threshold yet, and the other two being two teams that were projected to be bottom-of-the-league trash in the Nationals and Rockies. So the Cardinals are right down there with them. Yeah, oh, it's no. it's a witch's brew uh, in the National League Central. The Pirates, after getting red hot, have have cooled off, and they're now two games under 500. The Cubs are just kind of milling around. And it was just, <laughs> as recently as like a few weeks ago, everybody was in was within five games of the third wild card. Now we've kind of gotten a little bit of separation. You have St. Louis, Colorado, and Washington all now double digits outside the third wild card. St. Louis, incredibly, ten games back of the third wild card. I mean, they're done. They're sellers at the trade deadline, which is kind of one of the things we're going to talk about, Paul Goldschmidt, in just a few minutes here. Um, the Rockies and the Nationals, those are a couple of teams that if there are, if there are any major league players on those teams, that you can probably be hunting for, through those rosters and seeing what you can pick through. But you've got, you know, the Mets and the Cubs are five and a half back. 
The Pirates are four back. The Padres are three and a half back. The Padres just, you know, they just can't get off, get off of 500. And the, and the Reds have won eight in a row in our two games back with the Phillies one game out of the final wild card. So uh, we're going to get into a little bit more of that here and coming up in just a couple of minutes. But let's first dive into this series against the, the A's. It was not the prettiest of series. This was not yeah. a series that you're going to tell your grandkids about, but... They have not won in California this year. It's been a, it, they got swept in uh, San Francisco. I think, did they get swept in Los Angeles as well? I think they did, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, they got swept mm-hmm. in Los Angeles as well. It's been, it's been a nightmare every time they've hit California. And so they were blessed by playing an Oakland A's team that is in their feelings right now. It is a mess in Oakland. And we heard a lot about that during the course of the weekend and the Phillies did what they had to do. They went in and they swept the A's to go six and one on the seven game West Coast trip that also featured a great series win against the Diamondbacks in Arizona. That's their longest road trip remaining this season. They will not hit the road for anything longer than a six game trip from here on out. So that's good news moving forward. They've won 13 out of their last 15. They went on a 13-2 and two run last year right around this time to get back into it. Uh, they started off the road trip 13 and 22 on the road. It was the second worst road record in baseball. They're now 19 and 23 on the road. So really made up some ground in that particular uh, aspect. And I mentioned all the road games they've played. The Phillies have played 12 more road games than home games here in mid-June. Good to get it all out of the way. And be four games over 500, right? I mean, that's. Yeah. I think you're probably, if you're thinking about reasons to really feel like this team can can sustain this and go on a run, is that they are going to have 12 more home games than road games the rest of the way this season. So, I, I think that's a big deal. You know, they've they really struggled on the road, but this was a this was a series, a, a couple of road series where they were able to kind of get their confidence level up. And Liz, you mentioned, you know, you would have liked to have seen them done better against a terrible Oakland pitching staff. Phillies hitters, I think, made Oakland's pitchers look a lot better than they were. Although, oh, yeah. I will say too, Oakland has a ton of lefties, and lefties give the Phillies problems. And we saw that this weekend, I think. But just generally speaking, your your thoughts on how the offense performed this week in Oakland against a, a pitching staff, they really should have mauled. Yeah, I wasn't super happy with how the offense looked. I mean, there wasn't a moment where the Phillies were batting where they're like, eh, I'm fine. They could do whatever here. As you do, you know, when you have a, a comfortable lead, every moment was was very alarming. Like, why are there not more runs? Where are the runs? Except for the first game, which was, a, what, it was like a 5-1? to one, Yeah, 6-1. 6-1. to, one. Six to one win. Yep. Like, the other two, I think they were both they were both 3-2 scores, and it was just Correct. nail-biting, mm-hmm. frightening, scary. Just like, why is no one hitting the ball? I mean, Oakland is, you know, the Coliseum's big, but, you know, why, would, why can no one but... But Kyle Schwarber get a hold of the first pitch of the game. And, like, that's it. Both yeah. both times he did the leadoff home where it was first pitch of the game, I think. No, the one on Sunday was was not first pitch. Oh, it was, like, okay. it was well. the fourth or fifth pitch. But either way, I mean, a leadoff home run is a leadoff home run. He's got 12 now in his career with the Phillies. That's nuts. That's really – I mean, I wonder how many uh, homers Rollins has. Probably well, a ton, but – I have that number. You want to well. – you, would you care to take a guess? Both see. of you guys, would you would both of you care to take a guess? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, uh, now I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you said Schwarber has 12? 12 in his career, yes. And his career, his Phillies career or his total career? His Phillies career. All right. Holy crap. I'll see. <laughs> That's a ton. He hasn't even been here that long. I that. know. That's why I'm having trouble <laughs> guessing like what J-Roll's number is because he was here forever. But also 12 in, he, in, a, 12 in his two-year, one-and-a-half-year career is a lot. It is. It's a lot. I mean, that's really piling them up for Let's no doubt about it. 34. Yeah, I was going to say 30. 30 and 34. The correct answer is, oh, I just had it in front of me. I think it's, oh, it's 44. Oh, oh wow. Okay. I was afraid to guess that many because I'm like, that many? Like a season's worth of, it sounds like a you ton. know, leadoff home yeah. runs? <laughs> Yeah, and you, you think, wouldn't I remember that, that he hit a, a home run like at the beginning of the game? You're like, he was here for so long and he hit a ton of home runs. No, I would mm-hmm. not remember that. So, no. yeah, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's just so, I mean, it really is bonkers, but I think he's now like fifth uh, in uh, among all-time Phillies in, in leadoff home runs. So, <laughs> yeah, 
it's just insane what he's doing right now. And and he really was the the the, the main source of the offense on on Sunday where he had the leadoff home run and also had uh, an RBI single in that game. It was nice to see him get a little bit of a blue pit. He has the lowest batting average on balls in play. Uh, of any player in baseball this year, so he's overdue for a few dinks and dunks to go oh, yeah. to go his way, a few few bleeders to go through the infield. I remember when they talked about the shift uh, that they thought, no oh, man, this is going to be really good for Kyle Schwarber's you know Babbitt because he does hit so many balls under the grounders under the right side of the infield. You know, some of those are going to sneak through now, but we haven't seen that so far this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, Justin, I, I don't want to get too wrapped up in, in the offense's failures because they did so great in Arizona. The offense really powered them. I don't know whether if it was just kind of the two games they really struggled were day games and it did look bright there. I mean, I'm not making excuses. Neither team hit in any of those in, in any of those games. Um, you know, we'll look at the pitching here and the pitching has really been a big key. They want they, they were um won so many one run games in Arizona. I think they they piled up four one run wins out of the six games that they won. They're now 16-7 and seven in one-run games. That's second best in baseball behind only the Marlins, and they're 4-1 and one in extra innings right now. Uh, last year, they were 22-25 and 25 in one-run games. So this is not something that you can depend on year by year, but it just goes to show you, really, the bullpen this weekend was the star of the show. The, the starters did fine, but the bullpen really showed up. I would say the right amount of offense for the Phillies is the amount of offense that wins them the game. If you want to, if you want to, I'm glad you're pivoting to me because I, I, a win is so much more valuable than how they got the win to me. Like, it's like mm -hmm. how teachers say when that final bell rings, they don't think about the kids at all anymore because they don't have to. It's like that final pitch gets thrown. I don't care what happened before it. They got the win. We're fine. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to read between the lines and find ominous failures of like oh brandon marsh isn't hitting as well as like, i'm concerned about it nope they won they all they need to do is win right now they're still digging up so yeah. i'm 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 fine with how they won in oakland because i thought it was going to be enough of a challenge to even just sweep the team something we all agreed they had to do and could do uh, against the A's specifically, but I'm still sitting here, you know, a day removed thinking like, oh, they could drop the game. They could still drop this series, like at any yeah. moment. I could do it because that's exactly the kind of team that has given the Phillies fits in the past. And fairly enough, this is also a Phillies team that struggled with not adding on. Like, I feel like we've seen this before where Schwarber leads off with a home run and the vibes are good. And then six innings later, oh, wait, we probably still need to score a few more runs, but now it's too late and everyone's tired. So you did get sick of seeing that. And I think uh, moments like that, games like that really contributed to the, the hole this team is currently in now. But yeah, to see them be able to give whatever offense they needed to win, uh, especially that game yeah, where they they went up 2-1, gave up the lead, came back, scored just enough to win again, and then finally locked it in. You know, yeah, you want to be able to rely on other dimensions of your team other than what's supposed to be its strength. And I think we've learned our lesson by now that this Phillies offense, you know, it's built to smash, but it, it doesn't always find the on switch. And you can't right. always rely on them, even though that's what they're supposed to do. So uh, I, I feel like this, this series proved they can rely on their bullpen. They, their starting pitching is really turning the corner. And, you know, it, it, it sucks that it's the A's that you got to beat up on, a, a team and a fan base that's, that's really going through it right now. But I'm glad the Phillies got out of California with a series sweep there and that this West Coast trip was as successful as it was because they absolutely needed that to happen. And it's fair to note, too, the Phillies really ran out of B-Squad on Sunday. Bryce Harper got the day off. Nick Castellanos missed the last two games of the series with a stomach virus, and he's been their best hitter this year by far. They they really missed Castellanos in the lineup against all of those left-handers that Oakland threw at them. And so uh, you saw a lot of Josh Harrison this weekend, which is well, not, yeah. not always what you want. Um, but yet, you know, it's you were relying on, you know, Bryson Stott cooled off a little bit. Um JT Realmuto had a big home run in the game on Friday, but cooled off a little bit uh, as the weekend rolled on. I mean, so it's just, you know, they they were, you're right, Justin, they are kind of up and down uh, for right now. And that's just, that's just how they are. But they were also without two of their best hitters in the game on Sunday and their very best hitter on Saturday and Sunday. Um, overall, the offense, I think you'll take that against uh, an Oakland pitching staff that, you know, is terrible, but looked pretty good um, this weekend. What did you think about Bryce Harper getting the day off here? It seemed to me an ideal time to do it. You wanted to get him two days off. You have the off day on Monday. If there's ever a game where you think maybe you can get away with resting one of your best players, 
the Oakland A's is probably the game to do it. And he has, since his last home run, he's now in the midst of a 20-game homerless streak. He's hitting, he has an on-base percentage of 348, so he's still getting on base. He's still getting the occasional RBI, um, but he has no home runs in his last 20 games, and he has a 299 slugging percentage for a 647 OPS in his last 20 games. Um this is not to, to, to bag on Bryce Harper because if anybody deserves slack, it's the guy who came back from Tommy John surgery two months early to, to join the lineup and who has been a clutch performer throughout his career. Oh, do, Nevertheless, we not, do we not want to do that? Do we not want to bag on Bryce Harper? A player no, you know, know what? Let's, let's kill, let's like, kill Bryce like Harper. Let's really kill him. Let's good, get him. But he's like having a rough, quote unquote, stretch. We're not even talking about a hitless streak. We're talking about a homerless streak, by the way. Homerless streak. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, get him, like, Justin. Get him. And like, are we really like Trey Turner got here and all anyone could wait to talk about was tearing up his contract after his first month of not being an all star at the plate. And now here's Bryce Harper, a guy we know is good, who is not hitting at the top of his game right now. But we don't have to complain because, well, the team is winning, but also we know yes. what kind of player he is. We know that the long-term story tells the story. And <laughs> no, we no. know who Bryce Harper is. So the fact that the team is winning is the major difference here because if yes. they weren't, people would be looking at the numbers and saying, well, this guy's not doing it and this guy's not doing it. And you absolutely would be hearing the performative anger of people ragging on a guy who willed his body back from the brink to come back to, uh, months early. So, yeah, I, uh, I I just I do think that's funny. But, you know, it's again, it's it's the context that changes when a team's winning versus when they're not. No, no. When a good player stops being good, they are bad forever. That's it. They're dead. That is. Throw them mm-hmm. in the dumpster. It's the only mm-hmm. thing that's... Dead to me. That's not how baseball has worked. It's not no. how baseball has worked forever. Because no. all I hear is, you know, people complaining about, you know, good players being bad. And then they usually shut up about it. So my assumption is that's been taken care of by the player leaving and not by, I don't know, the player being good again like he's always been. No, no. The, those people, when the player starts doing well again, they go on like a apology tour of, of waving their eyes oh i was my bad i was totally wrong what i was saying was an insane overreaction or just something i made up for attention you know it's it's definitely <laughs> definitely my mom was me. yeah i was absolutely in the wrong there and i want everyone to remember it because that's the kind of classy person i am they all, they the all internet famous they all for its that. apologies yeah mm-hmm. totally yeah i i the mia culpas on twitter will come at you fast and furious. You got to just like find Sometimes already. you have to mute them, you know, and they, I can't hear any more of these. Um, Weirdly, I don't want to be already had them muted because they wouldn't stop talking stupid nonsense. That's probably true as well. Um, I did think one of the other interesting developments over the course of these three games in Oakland was what the Phillies are doing in center field. And what Rob Thompson appears to be saying is that Christian Pache back off the injured list and Brandon Marsh will be sharing time in center field in pretty much a platoon role. Pache looks great since returning from the injured list. I mean, first of all, the plays that he made defensively in this series we're second to none. I mean, you see the elite defensive center fielder there. This is what they were talking about. His read on some of those line drives were run savers. I mean, they really they really did help run prevention. Like we talked about when he was acquired, if that's kind of what he's going to give you from time to time, there's value there. And you saw it in this Oakland series in these one-run games. Those plays probably meant the difference between winning one of those games and losing one of those games. He also looked great on the bases, um, stealing bags, getting extra bases. He's, he's a really athletic young player and hit a couple of doubles in the game on Sunday, scored twice in the game on Sunday. And I think it's interesting because we were talking about Marsh needing to hit against left-handers because in April, he was hitting everybody, but I went to check his splits again this morning, and looking at the splits, I can kind of see it now. Against left-handers, Marsh is batting 211 with a 274 on base and a 386 slugging percentage. That's Those are very bad numbers, and against right-handers, the average is 268. The on-base is 364, which is phenomenal, and he's got a 423 slugging percentage. At the moment, Justin, this feels to me like the right call. I would have been against this, obviously, when Pache first came aboard, but given what we saw from him and how he was playing before he hit the injured list, it sure seems like some of the changes that uh, Kevin Long and the Phillies had him had him take part and had him do have held and he's playing he looks really really good he looks like a guy who can help you win games I was definitely using Pache's numbers as a punchline uh, when he first got here. And oh, we all good, were. For good oh, yeah. reason. I mean, those were not just like, this guy struggles at the plate. Like, this guy didn't know how to hit anymore by the time he was leaving Oakland. His 
development since arriving in Philadelphia. I know he struggled when he first got here. Then he was like 7 for 16. Then he got hurt. It was something like that. But he was just starting to really look comfortable and get comfortable. And then when he losing him to injury was just, yeah, it was a minor heartbreak. Cause it was like, man, it really looked like we had a, another, up, another guy up and coming who really gives this team a dimension. It doesn't have this team that gets hit all the time for its lack of defense. And obviously one guy doesn't fix your defense, but he at least gives you that option out there. He was running. He ran down that ball in center during this series that no one else on this team probably is able to run down. Uh, like that's the kind of center field defense that they they were looking for when they brought him in. And they thought, you know what? We got one of the best hitting coaches in baseball here. If the bat's going to come, it's going to come while it's here. And that's come along as well. He will not stop hitting. And there was this great moment. I remember when he went out with his injury, and, and like they ran a story saying like the Phillies were like, don't worry about it. Like get better. We'll be here, like we'll carry, we'll we'll carry the team while you're gone. Like come back, just get healthy, and you know, and we'll we'll go at it. And he came back, and he made that catch in center. And I don't know if you guys saw, but right after Kyle Schwarber like grabbed him and did like a little hug around his back, yeah, just as like welcome back, buddy. Like Aww. this is this is what we've been waiting for, and it was great. Like that was a great moment for him. And yeah, he, it is great to see his development has been apps. I'm so pleased with how he has uh, progressed here with the Phillies. It's been a lot of fun to watch. He is a fun player. And, like, as far as Marsh goes, I love, obviously love Brandon Marsh. Uh, he's uh, he's one of the most fun players to watch as well. I was firmly in team stop platooning them for a while, but now we're all looking at the same numbers. And, I mean, you know, look, I'm not saying I'm I'm not unhappy by this decision. Like, I'm not on its, on its surface instantly like, no, this is the wrong call. We're all looking at the same numbers, and people are always yelling at the manager to do something, fix something. And we're always like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> this is this is something he can do. This is something yeah. they can try. So, yeah. you know, let's let's give it a shot. I don't think anyone's feelings are getting hurt. And if Marsh's bat catches on fire, then I'll be the first one to be like, yeah, start him in more games, please. Uh, but when you have enough good players that this is an option for you, it's it's a good thing. So I like seeing fun players get playing time, and it doesn't matter which one of them is in center field right now because they both are. Yeah, and Liz, with Christian Pache, he he came up as as one of the best prospects in baseball, and man, I, I'm just trying to... Oh, I to, want him to have such a great series against the Braves. I'm sorry. I, wouldn't I, that be I great? So to throw that in there. So I would love much. to see him just rip the Braves in half. Mm. That would be so satisfying. Absolutely. Is that... <laughs> Was that who he was drafted by? Yeah, he was one yes. of their top prospects. They were, he was like part of their future for a while. Mm-hmm. And, then and who he did was... he get traded for? I forget who who did the Phillies get him from? Olson. It... The, the Braves traded. Yes, the, the Madden and Matt Olson deal. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And they got him from Oakland, which right. You know, yeah, I mean, so he went back to Oakland. It was Oakland, nice yeah. of him to have one game back there and do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm I'm thrilled that he's back and I'm thrilled that it looks like some concentrated attention has really helped him we can be pretty sure he didn't get that in Oakland consider I mean I I still am wowed every time I remember they traded their coach they traded their manager that's right they traded their manager I think he I think he just quit I think he just quit and went to the Padres I don't think it was a trade I'm this is what it's which is even worse. <laughs> it's all bad. Oh, you're talking about Bud. I'm thinking of Bob Melvin. Oh, no, no, no. And I'm thinking, yeah. No, Bob Melvin Bud Black. just left. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bob Melvin just left. But uh, it's not Bud Black. No. Whoever, I, I'm almost positive they traded their manager to the Padres. Or maybe he did just leave. But I thought it was a trade. Regardless, that's not the point of this, though I find it a little bit more interesting than Christian Pache, who I'm glad had a wonderful game in Oakland, and it would be great for him to have uh, a great series in Atlanta to sort of show them what they let go of, though at the Mm -hmm. same time, it would, I'm going to guess, give their prospect identifiers, you know, it'll put a smile on their face, because they did identify a good guy when, you know, and maybe some others didn't. They just apparently didn't know what to do for him it'll be humanizing for the braves to feel the emotion of regret for once just I, I once like just one time that. just one time <laughs> literally the way, i was about to trash the braves and i thought no don't and then you just chimed in with the braves need to feel human emotion and i'm like never stifle yourself just once negative just human once. emotion <laughs> negative <laughs> human emotion never stifle yourself liz oh, make one wrong decision 
Braves, I, I, make one wrong decision challenge. They did They did <laughs> feel some negative emotion after the National League Division Series last year. So oh, I, that's I, I, true. I, that, and that's they true. did lose a series to the A's, which that's right. the Phillies did not do this that's year. Right. So. Yes. so let's correlate this out. The Phillies will sweep them in four games, and they're only going to play them in three. So that's pretty good. Um, the, by the way, I did a little bit of Googling while you were talking. The last Oakland A's manager to be traded that I can find was back in 1976 when the A's traded manager Chuck Tanner to the Pirates in exchange for catcher Manny Sanguian and $100,000. So just a, a little it's bit. It's really funny to imagine like how trades normally go down. They're like, oh, uh, Skip wants to see you in his office. But if it's the manager getting traded, they're like, hey. Like, do you have that go, conversation with yourself? Yeah, yeah, go into your own office and sit there. Wait, who is telling me that? Like, <laughs> I've got some unfortunate news to tell me. Right. <laughs> Moves to the other side of the desk. We're, uh, we've made a deal with Sandy. What is it, Skip? It's <laughs> <laughs> turning his hat around, front, back. <laughs> uh, so one act we've got going on yep. here. This is fantastic. Um, one last thing before we uh, before we finish up. Well, a couple other things. Uh, Zach Wheeler got the win on Sunday. Pitched pretty well despite not having his best starts, but he's got a 3.48 ERA. But in his last uh, on the season, a six and four record, 3.48 ERA on the season, but has allowed one or no runs in four of his last five starts. So Zach Wheeler picking it back up. Uh, the A's were three for 34 with runners in scoring position in this series, an 0.88 batting average with runners in scoring position. Uh, that included a, what was it, a 1-for-14 in the second game of the series, the extra inning game. I have it written down here. You can hear me flipping through pages. It was, um, hang on. No, I lost it. Dang, nabbit. Yeah, it was like 1-for-13 or 1-for-14 or something like that um, in that series. And then, um, so then you had uh, one, somebody's writing it out for me. This is so helpful. Sorry, no, I was Look, Well, finish F. it. You started writing in the Google Doc and now it went away. <laughs> because I because I wasn't writing it, I was looking for it in the doc and I didn't hit control F first. Boom. And I'm just <laughs> watching I'm just watching the typing and listening to the conversation and being like, this is entertaining for me. Yeah. Yeah. See the Listen to John struggle with numbers. This is just the anonymous mm. kangaroo enjoying yep. the show. <laughs> oh, see on my screen, you are an anonymous walrus. This is so scintillating. I think yeah. for our listeners, we talked about the walrus we and are an anonymous box. I have an anonymous walrus and an anonymous kangaroo on my screen. <laughs> that's I think the that's, both of us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Our alter egos. That's pretty good. I like the kangaroo and the walrus. And so, um, yeah, so uh, three for 34 with runners in scoring position. The A's struck out 36 times in the three-game series. Uh, Christopher Sanchez looked really good in his four innings of work. I want to talk more about him in just a second. But the bullpen, Junior Marte gets his first career save on Sunday. The bullpen has been amazing. And the Phillies had five different pitchers save five games in the last five days. You had Luis Ortiz on Tuesday, Jose Alvarado on Wednesday. Oh, not in the last five days. Yeah, last five games. Luis Ortiz on Tuesday, Jose Alvarado on Wednesday, Craig Kimbrell on Thursday, Jeff Hoffman on Saturday, and Junior Marte on Sunday. The only game the Phillies didn't have a save was on Friday when they won 6-1. to one. So, um, yeah, just weird how they're different guys stepping up uh, in the in these situations with Sir Anthony Dominguez now on the injured list with a strained oblique. Uh, Craig Kimbrell and Gregory Soto were both unavailable on Sunday after they'd pitched in three of their previous four games. And that used to drive us crazy when Joe Girardi would do it, but three out of for I can understand what to give those guys a rest. That that's makes sense. And they actually have some arms in the bullpen now, Liz, where you can Junior Marte, after being awful at the start of the season, has come out and he's I think he's been scoreless in ten of his eleven appearances since coming back from from the minors and just blew the A's away one, two, three in the ninth. It's been it's been pretty amazing watching what has historically been such a trouble spot for this team be the one constant strength through these first three months of the season. The bullpen really has probably been the steadiest part, the steadiest thing about the Phillies here in 2023. It has been. I mean, I, I still am biting my nails, but that's that's a natural response to whenever a bullpen comes into the game and Brad Lidge isn't there. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm still nervous, but it's good to see them, good to see all of the guys just sort of be comfortable with where they are. That's kind of the best thing because I know a lot of, you know, I, I, for one of the rare times I watched the pregame show on, on Sunday on NBC Sports Philly, um, they had to turn it off because I spent so much time booing Ricky Vitalico. Um, <laughs> good Lord. One thing that they said, or maybe it was during a broadcast, is that, you know, relievers really like being in positions and knowing where they're going to go. And I'm like, why? I, I don't think I ever hear relievers talk about that. I think that's something that people just say because 
the Phillies bullpen has been good going wherever they're told to go. Yeah. They go out, they pitch, they're done. Like they know that we know that Kimbrell will probably might might get the ninth inning, but as we've seen, it could be anyone. Because they have a lot of good dudes. It's really great um to not have to worry about it as much and to see these guys do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that, Justin, they're doing this with different guys than we expected at the start of the season. I mean, in, in spring training, we kind of knew who all the bullpen guys were going to be. We knew what all the roles were going to be. But Andrew Bellotti and Connor Brogdon are in AAA right now, and they didn't even pitch that terribly while they were here. They just have gotten supplanted by guys like Jeff Hoffman, who throws 97, 98 miles an hour, and he's commanding his his pitches, and Junior Marte, who they brought in. I mean, I think we expected him to be a part of the bullpen, but certainly not a, a major piece. And so Marte's role is going to grow quite a bit with Sir Anthony Dominguez on the shelf. We'll get a real good look at him in some more high leverage situations, but we'll probably see a lot of Jeff Hoffman in the seventh inning. Maybe he might even get an, an eighth inning here. He got a save, you know, in the series as well. So um, just different guys than we were expecting this year stepping up. And and I know Noah Song is, is uh, about ready to possibly go on some kind of rehab assignment. They'll probably have to give him back to the Red Sox based on how the bullpen is pitching. But I don't know. I mean, different guys, surprise guys have been have been involved, and it's it's been a really interesting bullpen with the way guys have moved around and, and performed in different roles. Yeah, uh, usually it's way more guys making me feel nervous this time of year. Uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable with most of the arms in the Phillies bullpen, but really it's down to just Junior Marte. I know he, like you said, scoreless in his last 10 start or appearances or whatever, but... He's somebody who I still get when he I saw it was him coming into the game. It was the reminder that, oh, right. Sir Anthony hit the injured list. So we're getting this. And uh, I thought if I think this is where like the A's being the A's came into the series at its loudest, where it was like an average team probably like salvages a walk off win in that one run last inning situation off one of the Phillies weaker relievers. But like you said, he's found a groove and I think they're just going to address these bullpen arms the same way they're going to address the fifth rotation spot, which is, you know, who worked best last let's yeah. go back to them. And yep. if it, if it stops working, we'll go with somebody else, but that's kind of the benefit of a lot of guys being at least okay uh, for this late into the season. Uh, yep. I feel like the Phillies have given themselves a lot of options. They built out some depth. Uh, you know, maybe not every guy is a, a hard-throwing location hitter with excellent command, but, like, they're still they're, they're good enough to get the job done. And that's what the Phillies need right now. Their bullpen has been so utterly reliable because they've been able to cycle guys in when other guys mm-hmm. have struggled. And they've also been able to rely on a couple of mainstays, like the guys, the, the higher profile names and guys like Kimbrell yeah. and guys like Alvarado. So that has been a huge strength for this team. And they wouldn't be where they are uh, now w- w- without that bullpen. And a couple of the call-up guys like Andrew Vasquez has been Yo, awesome yeah. since, since he two was winning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's going to be the one of their bulk guys, but also just uh, out of the out of the pen as a left-hander who who throws those sliders and and it's just really was impressive stuff from him so far this year. So, uh, by the way, I found the stat the the A's were one for nineteen with runners in scoring position on Saturday. So just just unbelievable stuff from there in that in that twelve inning game. It sounds so much cooler without the panicked filing of papers. But the one, yeah, but the, the, one with, the one, the one, the what? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Phones I'll ringing be, off the hook, papers flying. More, I'm like that guy in that meme, the the big guy at the desk, you know, that says papers up in the air. Yeah, that was kind of what I was doing. Um, just real quick, Christopher Sanchez looked good as the number five starter in his four innings of work through strikes and change-ups. He really looked good. He came out after getting hit in the hand, but they say he should make his next start. But the number five spot in the rotation has been a problem all season long, they've had a lot of bullpen starts. They've had, you know, they're trying to find a guy who can do it. Bailey Falter, obviously faltered earlier in the season and um you can please nope, we're laugh. not addressing it we're not addressing it. <laughs> <laughs> i give you the jeb bush there please laugh nope. um but obviously we're hoping that somebody can take this number five starter job and run with it and sanchez is just as good an option as anybody else so he's gonna get a few opportunities here it looks like but uh, i saw a story by destiny Lagardo from phillies nation um talking about whether or not to trade for like a number five starter, kind of like a Noah Syndergaard last year. And, and Syndergaard ended up being the Phillies four uh, as as the end of the season rolled along. But a number five starter isn't going to play for you in the playoffs. He's either, he's either going to be a deep bullpen guy who you only use 
if you're down by 10 runs in a postseason game. He's not going to be a guy that you rely on to win you a playoff game. And the 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 thinking is, if you're going to make an addition at the trade deadline, with where the Phillies are right now, and the fact that they have like Chris Chris Sanchez's, and you know you're expecting to probably get Andrew Painter back at some point, maybe Mick Abel can string together some starts in a row and you can bring him up. But they seem to be handling the number five starter situation as well as other contenders who are also dealing with the same issue that if you're going to invest capital at the trade deadline, invest in a bat, an impact bat. Or if there is an impact starter available, go and get an impact starter. And one of the names, and you mentioned it, Justin, you and Chris were talking about it and absolutely hammered, is Paul Goldschmidt. The Cardinals are going to sell. There's no doubt in my mind the Cardinals are going to sell at the trade deadline. Paul Goldschmidt is signed through 2024, not having as good a season this year as he had in his MVP campaign last year, but still having a very good season and would be a serious upgrade over Cody Clemens, who... Has been fine as a stopgap, but certainly not the guy that Paul Goldschmidt would be. So there's a few different preferences I wanted to run by you guys, and I wanted to, to tell me what you think your your preferred method of addressing needs at the trade de- deadline would be. Number one, trading for Goldschmidt, which sounds great on paper. You would fill a need at first base, would replace Reese Hoskins and then some, but it would also prevent Bryce Harper from moving from designated hitter and taking over first base, which would allow Schwarber to get out of left field and to designated hitter. So you get an impact bat at first base and a really good glove at first base, but it kind of hinders you from moving Schwarber out of left field. You could trade for an outfielder instead of Goldschmidt in order to get Harper to first base and Schwarber uh, to DH. But the bats and the possibilities there don't sound as good. You're looking at like Ian Happ, Goldschmidt's teammate Tyler O'Neill, who had a lot of promise but has really struggled and hasn't been able to stay healthy in his big league career. There's just not a whole lot else else out there right now in terms of corner outfield, at least as far as the obvious names are concerned. You could trade for a number five starter if you really just want to stop. You know, I think they're three and ten this season when the number five starter has come up in the in the rotation. So that if you want to argue that you need that to get you a playoff spot this year, then maybe you you do that. Understanding, of course, the price for pitching like a Chase Anderson is very very high. Or you could trade for a top level starting pitcher. You're probably giving up a Mick Abel in a deal that gets you Corbin Burns or Lucas Giolito or Shane Bieber or Dylan Cease or something like that, plus more. But that gives you a top-line starter in the playoffs, right? That gives you that postseason guy. So, Liz, let me start with you. Which of those four options do you find the best? It's tough because I... You say that you won't need a number five starter, and it's possible. But not only does that guy help you win, that guy is also your stopgap if something happens in the playoffs. You need someone half decent on the roster, even if they're not, even if you know they're not going to be doing what they normally do. Um, because I f- feel like I don't know the Goldschmidt thing feels wrong. I don't know. Like, because I like the idea of corner outfield and putting Schwarber back at first, but I also am currently wearing a Reese Hoskins shirt. So that's also something I need to think about. (laughs) Um, I would say uh, trading for a pitcher of some kind is what I think is important because they just, uh, even though they're stringing together starts for number five starters, Mm -hmm. they, they don't have a ton of depth that I think any of us feel good about because we would all want someone, you know, a big name to come up if they needed someone. But we don't know if guys like, you know, guys like Andrew Painter will be ready or if they even want to do that. I, I think they need some security in the pitching, in the starting pitching department. So somebody more like a back of the rotation type guy, a number four or a number five, as opposed to like going and getting like a number one or a number two type starter. Well, I mean, if you do that, it at least gives you an option for, you know, if you send uh, if you send uh, Aaron Nola off somewhere floating on an iceberg, um, at least you'd have a starting pitcher to replace him, mm-hmm. though you'd have to give up actual prospects for him instead of money. Yeah. Which yeah. money is easy. Money is fake. You can find money anywhere, especially John Middleton. 
Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. Let's Prospects, be clear. John Middleton can find money anywhere. You and I, you and, and I cannot. And no, no. We, we we cannot find money anywhere. No, <laughs> no, we absolutely not. Well, if yeah. we were looking in John Middleton's house, I bet yes, we could. I think we that's could what find I'm saying. Everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, prospects don't grow on trees, especially especially guys like you know Mick Abel and Andrew Painter for the Phillies who have had, I would say, limited success in uh, starting pitching prospects lately. Right. You know, Nola is a plus, but is he? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a quite. I mean, number. I, I've been, I've been calling Nola the number four right now. I think he's their fourth best starter. But you know, I'm. I it's it's disappointing that I I would really it would really have been great if somebody like Mick Abel or Griff McGarry could have so far this season really kind of shown something. You know, like shown like forced the Phillies' hand. It's like, hey, you need to be calling me up. And so far, neither guy has done that. They've looked. Okay, at times, you know, they but neither one of them has been like, hey, I'm on the fast track to Philly. You know, it just hasn't not certainly in the way that they were talking about Andrew Andrew Painter uh, earlier in the season. And if there was that kind of momentum building for like Mick Abel or or Griff McGarry, even somebody else to kind of pop up from out of nowhere, you could be like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe pitching's not as big a need. But, um, you know, Justin, what do you think? I mean, it's. I know you talked about this with with Chris a little bit on on Absolutely Hammered. I mean, the idea of Goldschmidt, you know what you're getting in Goldschmidt. I think you probably know what it would cost to to give up some to get him. I don't know how realistic it is to go out and get somebody like Corbin Burns or Giolito or Bieber or Eduardo Rodriguez or anything like that. It's it's this is a tough one. Yeah, my initial reaction was like Goldschmidt is such a, a an overcorrection, but. The more you think about it, I mean, think about how we just described this league. The Phillies would have to do something to start outpacing some other teams. Because, um, you know, we keep saying, well, if the playoffs start tomorrow, but the playoffs don't start tomorrow. They just have to play over half the season still. So when you think about the kind of production you could get from Paul Goldschmidt and how much of a graduation that is from Cody Clemens, there's definitely appeal there. Um, but you're obviously giving up plenty to get Goldschmidt. The Cardinals are going to, you know, they're going to be like, oh, we're getting something out of this season. If we're going to be the worst team in the National League and the other teams are going to pick our carcass apart like vultures, then we're getting something out of this. So their price is probably going to be hefty. And his deal is up in 24, I believe. He's on yes. a five-year deal. So, you know, again, and he's 35. So he's he's been able to do what he's been able to do. And if they did that, he would be... It, it would add to an already stacked lineup that, you know, again, still struggles to, to hit on occasion. Um, so I guess I lean more towards the pitching side. But where I would differ from Liz is that, you know, if if the struggles of Abel and McGarry have uh, made them less appealing to put in the Phillies rotation, then I guess it's also impacted their trade value as well. But. I, the way I started thinking of it was if you can just get away with giving up one of those guys as part of a large, like you're obviously giving up more than that, but of their main prospects they love, giving up just one of those guys for a front-end starter, I, that's a deal that starts to sound a little more appealing to me because mm -hmm. you got to do something to move a little faster than the rest of these teams. Everybody's just in kind of lockstep right now, and I know we're not thinking about the division, but the wild card, if right now is any indication, is kind of a blender that's just out of control. <laughs> Uh, you never know. You know a team, you know, if a team hangs out around 500 all year, they're kind of just ready to step into the wild card picture at any moment. They're just like a hot streak away from being a problem for you. A team that thinks you're firmly entrenched in a wild card spot already. So this could get pretty interesting, and the Phillies have to would have to do something. I could see them taking the approach that they have to do something to really separate themselves from the pack. At least just make themselves a half step better than all these other teams that are part of this big cloud of 500 nonsense mm -hmm. in the middle of the National League. And I think a front answer, if you're talking about giving up like a Mick Abel as part of a package to acquire a Corbin Burns, I don't know, man, that starts to have some appeal when you start thinking yeah. about, you know, Aaron Nola is like the best fifth starter in yeah. a, a, across baseball at that point. You know, that makes, in a way, it makes him better too. So, yeah, I think that's, and, and, and we know how much you rely on your starting rotation in the playoffs and how much the uh, the national media played up the 1-2 Wheeler-Nola punch uh, last year in the postseason. So 
I don't know. That that plan starts to not sound too terribly bad. You're not selling the farm. You've still got Painter, who obviously may not even pitch this year, but you know, you've still got Painter, and he's very young. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're you're out of pitching prospects. And obviously, you know, in this scenario where you're only giving up one of them, you've still got either McGarry or Abel too, you know? And and we've been giving up plenty of prospects, and I know everyone lives in fear of them finding success elsewhere, but you gotta just you got to just accept that fear because, you know, yeah, it might happen. But honestly, I typically don't think it does a whole lot. So I would, I, especially for a one or two starter, throwing them into this rotation that's starting to figure things out as Wheeler looks more like an ace, as Suarez gets really comfortable, as Walker makes adjustments and looks utterly lights out in some of his starts, throwing another front-end guy into that mix, especially a guy like Burns, whose reward for getting his team to the postseason was being told that he's the reason, oh, no, missing the postseason. He was told he was the reason they didn't get to the postseason <laughs> by right, his own right, team. Right, right, You know, he would probably be very excited to join a team that's like, no, no, our vibes are good and we don't blame our players for things when they go wrong so like that i think would be huge very beneficial for this team i think if there was an outfielder an impact outfielder who was available i think that might be my preference because i think i like how the dominoes would move there but ian happ and tyler o'neill don't move the needle very much for me that's what makes it like an easier choice honestly because that option just isn't there for me doesn't seem like it yeah yeah i mean i mean there there could maybe some guys shake out and different guys shake i mean maybe if the cubs are willing to talk about ian happ cody bellinger is kind of having a nice bounce back season he's young he could play good defense. He would be an improvement in left field. Um, it doesn't really make you better against left-handed pitchers. It makes you gives you another lefty in that lineup. But I mean, I, I think if you're looking at improving the offense, Paul Goldschmidt is is the way to go about that. And you just live with Kyle Schwarber's defense in left field. They've lived with it so far this year. They lived with it last year. They went to the World Series living with it last year. I mean, I, I imagine you can still do that um, and and try to get away with it. But uh, I think. Bellinger would mesh well with the team's general himbo identity, though. (laughs) (laughs) You really can't discount that. That would make them almost too himbo to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, and I I think if you can get like a number five starter for peanuts, then great. Go go grab somebody for if if it's not going to cost you a a major prospect, great. Go ahead and grab the go ahead go ahead and grab that person. But I I am, you know, I'm I'm going the Ruben Amaro route. Like I'm looking for that high impact starting pitcher. I'm selling the farm. You know what I mean? Like, but. I agree. I think if Mick Abel is the price and you're the St. Louis Cardinals, you don't need Mick Abel for this year. You're looking at Mick Abel for 2024 and 2025. And, you know, if I think Mick Abel has, he hasn't shown enough where you want to jam him into a starting rotation right now, but he's pitched, he's pitched okay. Like he hasn't pitched badly this year. I think, I think I was looking at his uh, starts. uh, He's made seven or eight starts. I think two of them have been real bad. Like he gave up six runs in one of them, eight runs in another one. And then the rest of them have all been like two, two runs or less in in four five and six innings each so not lights out like he's not dominating the league he's not he's not blowing anybody away but he's also been pretty good just not quite good enough to elevate to the majors and so if you're a team like the cardinals or, or your team like the brewers and you know you that might be enough to be your headliner for 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 burns or if you're the white Sox and you want to you want to get rid of dylan caesar giolito and try and stock up your system mick abel might be enough it might not be i mean pitching is in such short supply the phillies just may not be willing to to meet the price but um given but the fact i think that Aaron- that's that's the kind of deal of dombrowski i think out of all these deals that's the kind of deal he yeah he is historically equipped to make yeah, and and with Aaron Nola, the uncertainty with him as your number two or your co-ace, you really need another co-ace in the playoffs. And I'm not sure that Taiwan Walker, Ranger Suarez, is that co-ace. And maybe Aaron Nola figures it out between now and then. If he does, then the need for a top guy like this lessens. But as long as Aaron Nola continues to struggle, that seems to me to be the big need. And whether or not the Phillies would be willing to meet the the exorbitant price that it certainly would be. Uh, is the big question. I would not mind Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I just I don't I don't really have a good sense of what the trade value would be for that um, because he's not a one year rental. You know you would have him for for two years and it would solve the issue of first base next year because again there's no great first base option in free agency next year so it does solve that problem. It's a two year solution. Um, I'm not opposed to it, especially because I don't think the outfielder is there that makes sense for the Phillies to go out and get at the deadline. Well, that makes it awkward. If you still have Reese hanging around the team, though, and then you go out and get Goldschmidt, you're basically saying Bye. you're done here. Yeah, and that's, but I mean, that's just that's that's 
that's I think the you got to do that. That's the business. I mean, and he's got to understand that. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Will. But I just they made such a big deal. Oh, Reese yeah. is back around the team and the vibes are better. Uh, and then they're like, I get mm. it. Nope. <laughs> I get it. I, I'll tell you what I think. If you are convinced that the Cardinals are going to sell, I am not. They are in last, but they are proud and they believe they don't believe in rebuilding. They don't believe in taking time off. So if they're out of it this year, they're I don't think they're going to give up anyone who could help them next year. And I don't think you're wrong necessarily. I mean, that's that's a good point because you still have Goldschmidt and Arenado. You're building around those guys. I mean, mm -hmm. they haven't been the problem. It's the young guys that you have. They have a bunch of 24, 25, 26-year-old position players who just are not performing mm -hmm. this year. And the pitching staff has no impact arms. That's their big issue. They don't have any impact arms in the rotation. And that's the only reason why I think if they got the opportunity to grab a Mick Abel, who, had, who is a potential right. impact arm, a high-velocity guy, that's the only way it makes sense. Yeah, I could see it in that case. But, it, you know, it'll be interesting I agree with you largely, what, though. It'll be interesting to see what all of the, the is it the hot? No, it's not the hot stove. The trade people, all the trade yeah. people say, you know, Cardinals are thinking this is an organization. I'm like, I want to hear it all. Let's do it. <laughs> yep, let's do it. It's getting to be about time now. We're in mid-June, the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. It's time to start talking trades a little bit more seriously now. Yeah, All six right, weeks until uh, the trade de deadline, everybody. Get ready. Let's, let's go with the hot stove getting hotter. Let's let's heat it up. Um, as we look towards this upcoming homestand with the Braves and the Mets, an absolutely huge homestand for the Phillies to keep the good vibes rolling, it's important to note the Phillies are not the only red-hot teams in the National League. Despite winning 13 out of their last 15, they have not only not made, they've not made up ground on a number of different teams, and some teams have been catching up to them. The Cincinnati Reds are actually the hottest team in baseball right now, winners of eight in a row. They just swept the Astros over the weekend. The Giants have won seven in a row. They just swept the Dodgers. The Braves have won six in a row, and the Braves have also won 13 out of their last 15. So the Phillies remain eight games behind those guys. They're 20 games over 500. The Marlins have won four in a row. They just swept the Nationals. How sustainable are these teams winning ways? And I'll just give you a couple other notes as we think about this. We're talking specifically about, I think, the Reds, the Giants, and the Marlins, who's most likely to sustain their success and who is least likely. The Marlins have had the third easiest schedule in baseball this year with an opponent's winning percentage of 489. The rest of the way, the Marlins have the fifth hardest schedule yes. in terms of opponent's winning percentage. They have played nothing but losing teams in their last 15 games. You look at the Reds. The Reds have had the seventh easiest schedule so far, a 492 winning percentage. Their schedule is much easier, 16th hardest the rest of the way. That's because they play in the National League Central. The Giants have had the 15th easiest schedule, so right in the middle of the pack, it's 10th hardest the rest of the way. If you're looking to compare those teams with the Phillies, the Phillies have had the 9th hardest schedule so far. It's 12th hardest the rest of the way. Atlanta has had a slightly easier schedule than the Phillies so far this season. But they've played just three games against a team with a winning record in their last 19 games the Braves have had. So the Braves and the Marlins both have had an easy schedule and an easy run of it late. And of course, I say this as a team, as a fan of a team who played, whose team played the Oakland A's in these last three <laughs> games. So did take that with a you know degree of salt. But anyway, looking at some of these teams and specifically Justin, the Reds, Giants, and Marlins, who's most likely to sustain their success? Which team do you think is most likely to kind of fall apart and come back to the pack? Uh, I think the Marlins will come back to the pack. I think the Reds have worked themselves into a frenzy. I think they're gonna they they've leveled up, and for this for them this is uh, improvement. Uh, they've leveled up to like an annoyance at least, which is very fun for them. Um, and I mean that non sarcastically. They have some really fun players. I know we were talking about Ellie De La Cruz. Oh last boy, week, and he is a guy that if you like baseball, you should you will enjoy watching play baseball. <laughs> he is uh, he is something else. And seeing the that kind of his vibes kind of ripple through the rest of that team. Guys like Jonathan India really coming alive. It's you know they are fun and they can be they will be annoying. And I think the Giants will be a less explosive brand of annoying. I think they'll, they're the team that'll kind of like stay where they are currently, you know, maybe get a little hot, maybe get a little cold, but they're going to, I think they're, they're in the place where I'm not surprised to see them. A, a team in the mix in the NL West, but not dominating anybody by a long shot. But that's, that's generally see how I see things working out in the second half. Liz, what about you? Um, I, I actually think the Marlins are, might be built to, give the Phillies a lot of trouble. 
You know, they do have the batting champion, and they have some good arms. They actually have a decent team. I think they're – I think they could give the Phillies a lot of trouble for the rest of the season. I don't see the Reds um, or whoever it was, uh, whatever the other the team Giants. was. The Giants, yeah, whatever. Um, I don't see the Giants or the <laughs> Reds uh, sustaining this. I mean, I think the Reds have a better chance if only because, as Justin said, they've worked themselves up into a frenzy. Um, but – yeah, I, I think especially the Marlins having a harder schedule the rest of the way, we'll really see what they're made of. Um, but it's sort of like our worst our worst nightmare with the Marlins. They were just quiet and sucky for years. And then just as quietly, they acquired some good players, developed some other good ones, and now they're just a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the Marlins are the Marlins are a problem. The the schedule that they've had um certainly has been one of the easiest in baseball and they're going to have to play the Braves and the Phillies. And listen, the Mets have stunk this year, but the the Mets can no, still be a problem. No, let's talk about them. No. Once we talk <laughs> right. about it and and people notice, let's know. That this has been proven. Yep. I hear you. And uh, looking at the Reds, I'm looking at their pitching staff. Hunter Green has been very good for them. Uh, 393 ERA and 14 starts, but the rest of their rotation is just brutal. I mean, uh, Graham Ashcroft is on the injured list, but he's made 13 starts for them with a 678 ERA. Oh Luke Weaver has been their number three. He has a 647 ERA in 11 starts. Ben Lively, old pal Ben Lively, oh. has made six starts. He's been in eight games for them. He has a 4.07 ERA. Hey, that's actually uh, they have an- kind of half decent. <laughs> He's second best on the team. Uh, Nick Lodolo, who has made seven starts, he's also he's on the 60-day IL, so he's out for a while, but he had a 6-2-9 ERA. Hasn't every start of his career come against the Phillies? I think and- it's I think that's accurate. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I think no. that's I think that's accurate. Um, they've just had they've had a lot of injury issues with with guys in their pitching staff, so I just don't see them keeping this up. I think it's a nice little flurry for them. I think like the Pirates, I think they're I think it's more sustainable than the Pirates, obviously. Um, but I, I do think they'll come back down to earth, but they do benefit playing in the central. They're, they're not going to play as hard a schedule as the Marlins, the Phillies and the giants are. So I think though, I do think though the Cincinnati Reds will come back down to earth. I'm looking at the Marlins. Jorge Soler is having a, a true Renaissance season. Um, but you know, Brian De La Cruz has been pretty good for them. Jesus Sanchez has been good for them. Luis Arias has been good for him, good for them. He's down to 388. With his batting average and a 920 OPS, they should really consider moving him at the oh, trade wait, deadline. He's mean, just not worth it. You mean he's not hitting 400 anymore? I'm not hitting Even 400, so just get him out of there. Endless tweets and articles about That's what right. if he hit 400 for the whole season? And I looked at That's my watch, right. and it was June. How, and how, how are the Marlins 10 games over 500 with Sandy Alcantara holding a 4.97 ERA? <laughs> Jazz Chisholm's been out. And he's been out. For yeah. like a while. No, that's smoke and mirrors. <laughs> They're smoke and mirrors, too. I think the they Giants... Are. I think the Giants are the are the team most likely to sustain success, Ooh. and I'll say that I think I'll, I'll rank them this way in terms of most likely to sustain success. I'll say Giants, Marlins, Reds. That's my prediction for those for those teams. All right, we got a big homestand coming up with the with the Braves and the Mets. Unbelievably, it is mid June, June nineteenth, and they have yet to play either of these teams at home so far this season. Uh, I mentioned the Braves have also won six in a row, come in having won 13 out of their last 15. The Mets are still really struggling. They had a, a lost a series to the equally disappointing Cardinals over the weekend, and it's a couple of those, one of those games in truly horrific fashion. Um, so the Phillies have gone 14 and eight against Atlanta in Philadelphia over the past two years, including the playoffs. The Phillies do pretty well in Philadelphia against the Braves. Justin, how are you feeling about? We'll start just talking about the Braves series. How do you feel about the Braves series coming in? What are your expectations? Well, in a series, in a season where every series feels like it has a reason to be the biggest series of the season, this series feels like it could be the biggest series of the season. Uh, for obvious reasons. But I do feel like that's more of the case now because this, the Phillies are who they're supposed to be, finally. They have, and not just like, oh, they're figuring it out. It's like, no, they seem to have figured something out. And they're beating good teams uh, in the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. They're doing what they're supposed to do against worse teams like the A's. Uh, they, They seem to be operating at full strength, and it feels so much more like a... Fair fight, honestly. Playing the Braves when you're like, no, this is now we're we're back with the team we're supposed to be, and uh, the Braves are the Braves. They're they're kind of just becoming this very ir- irritating central pillar in the National League, where they're just you know unmovable, 
uh, totally consistent and rock solid. And it's infuriating, but you got to play them. And I know we're not really focused on winning the NL East anymore, but to be able to beat the Braves and just gain some ground on them or tear them down a little bit is going to be huge for this team. I think the players are going to take it as seriously as the fans. Uh, I think playing them at home is going to be a huge boon for this team. And like I said, the, the Phillies have more weapons now in, in both. That like, okay, now now Harper is back, and, and Schwarber has, has figured out how to hit, and Trey Turner is hitting like Trey Turner, and even Christian Pache is back, and he's providing the strengths he can provide. So I think playing a fully weaponized Phillies team is different from playing a Phillies team in April and May. And, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm excited to see this series. I don't think there was a, there was always a point in this series in this season where I would have been excited to see the Braves for four games, but I, I am I am excited to see the these te- these two teams match up because I think the Phillies are are finally on a level where it's not super intimidating to take on Atlanta. Yeah, and then starting rotation is pitching really well. The the Braves offense is just unbelievable. I mean, I think I saw a statistic. They have twice as many balls hit at 100 miles an hour or more coming off the bat as the next closest team. It's just, it's ridiculous how how they are scalding the ball all over the ballpark right now. But the Phillies starting rotation is much better uh, than it has been on, you know, Aaron Nola against that group is a little scary, uh, but we'll <laughs> see how that works. See, Nola pitches much better at home, so we'll see how that goes. Liz, your thoughts on this three-game series coming up against the Braves? Uh, I'm, my initial emotion is as it usually is fear (laughs) Um, but (laughs) watching the Phillies on this last road trip especially in Atlanta uh, not in Atlanta in uh, Arizona I it made me feel really good about where they are right now about how everyone's doing about the vibes right now the vibes are good that's very important Um, I I think they're gonna do well I think they're gonna I want to see them face this team I yeah. want to see them. I want to see these Phillies specifically face the Braves. You know, yeah. after yeah. seeing everything, feels like we've the series seen, is coming at a good time. Yeah, exactly. We've seen what we've seen. Now let's see them employ it against a real big boy team. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is the this is the week to do it. They're catching the Phillies and Braves are catching each other at their hottest, and so that's kind of a this could, could be a really really fun series that starts on on Tuesday night. So. Uh, we'll see how things go. Let's get to some real quick final thoughts here to wrap things up. Justin, any final thoughts? Three three quick things. Uh, MLB Trade Rumors says Josh Donaldson is undecided about playing <laughs> beyond 2023. I have decided if I want Josh Donaldson to play after 2023. So if he needs help on that decision, I'm happy to weigh in. Uh, the Project Meow, an animal welfare center in West Philadelphia, has a young orange male who is fully vetted and in need of a foster or forever home. He is named Alec Bohm, and in the picture, they they photoshopped a little hat on him. Just, uh, just uh, something there you people go. to consider. Uh, and most importantly, our friend Mike Robertson at Fransky LA, uh, unlike any of us or probably any of you listening, has a beer named after his account from Conshohocken Brewing. Fransky in L.A., Bedlam at the Bank, Golden Ale. And by his account, I guess I mean the people that his account is named after is yes, the beer is named yes, after. But yes. uh, it's still, obviously, Mike uh, uh, is involved in this uh, to the extent where he is blasting um, this, uh, putting putting tweets out about the tweet and the T-shirt you can buy with uh, the Fransky L.A. logo on it from Conchhock and Brewing. So if that's something you like to invest in, uh, T-shirts from the Internet. That's an option that's available to you and a beer I'm certainly going to try. All right. That sounds good stuff. All good stuff there. Um, Liz, final thoughts. Um, I don't know if uh, anybody has is listening to the TV broadcast. Uh, I've been forced to lately because MLB TV has uh, had major troubles syncing the radio and uh, the radio broadcast with the image from the television. So I've had to listen to uh, Ruben Amaro Jr. and uh, – Tom McCarthy this weekend. Uh, I'm usually okay with Rube. He's usually fun. I like listening to him on broadcast. He usually has interesting things to say, but put him in Oakland where they're having trouble with an owner and Ruben suddenly remembers he used to work directly for ownership. He spent a decent amount of time this weekend saying, well, you know, if they just showed up to games, if, if the fans just showed up every time like they did on the reverse boycott, I'm booing my television. The entire weekend he wouldn't let up. It was really frustrating. If anyone else heard this, 
please let me know. Let's all tweet at Ruben and tell him stop to stop being such a shill for owners he no longer works for. Yeah, I mean, stuff like I noticed uh, in another Ruben broadcast, he was just doing weird stuff. Like he got Kettle Marte and Starling Marte mixed up definitely at one point, but didn't realize it. He he was calling AJ Hinch. He thought AJ Hinch was the manager of the White Sox for a little bit. Like he was, I saw some hiccups there, but you're like, whatever, it's it's just normal stuff. But stuff like that where he comes out and it's just like, oh, yeah, uh, don't forget, the fans got to do their part. And you're like, shut up, Ruben. No. You, you, yeah, you don't no, understand. You don't understand this situation if you're like, well, why don't they just turn out like they did on reverse the boycott? That was the point. They were showing they will turn out when the team has earned it. <laughs> yeah, you can't continue to strip players away from from a team every single year and expect fans to come out and watch it. You just you just can't do it. And it's not a fair expectation. Um, you know, we went through that here in Philadelphia and but they built it back up with the was the intention was always to build it back up, never to constantly stay at thirty five million dollar payrolls. <laughs> Um, yeah. And when you know you've got no shot going into a year, why would you spend your money to go do that? And fans, that's how fans, that's how fans voice displeasure with their with their wallets. So I mean, it's just now they're going to lose a team. And I, I did a little rant on it on episode six eighty. Um, so I think it kind of summed up my feelings. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole again. But yeah, that's just not great. You can't. You, that's and it's not the good way. Yeah, of looking shut at up, it. Rube. All right, folks, look, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks to Justin and Liz for hopping on the podcast. And, folks, if you haven't, make sure you go become a Patreon member of Hit and Season. Go to hittandseason.com slash Patreon, and uh, you can sign up on one of the tiers, and that's where you can find The Dirty Inning and Absolutely Hammered. And please leave a rating and a review over at the at the uh, Hit and Season uh, podcast feed. We're also at whyy.com slash Hit and Season. That's our landing page. So uh, anything that you need in terms of Hit and Season content, Content can be found over at BillyPen.com, and there is no site that covers the city of Philadelphia better, so make sure you make it uh, part of your, your, your daily reading book market so you can check it out every day. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season. Hit and Season.